0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It's May, 2020, but it doesn't really seem like spring. Not this year, not the year of the pandemic. Uh, There's no baseball. There isn't a lot of hope around. More and more of us have lost our jobs and thousands, hundreds of thousands of us are losing our lives. But there is one sector in the economy that uh, seems to be doing quite well, at least surviving this crisis. That's the tech industry. Uh, Stocks are up for tech. We're using digital technology more and more. We're relying on it, indeed, to live our lives as we're locked down. Uh, And many people are suggesting that this is the final moment when the old analog world is transformed into digital. Uh, One of Silicon Valley's most prescient thinkers is Vivek Wadhwa. He's an old friend of mine. He's a prolific author. His last book is Driver in the Driverless Car. He's also a very distinguished academic at Harvard Law School and at Carnegie Mellon University. And he's somebody who's been given a lot of thought over the last few years to this great shift, this profound shift from an analog to a digital economy. Uh, Vivek, is it spring for tech in Silicon Valley? Uh,
1: Andrew, uh, good to talk to you after so long, but uh, it's really very mixed over here. If you're Facebook or um, uh, Microsoft, it's party time. It's, it's spring and you have a beautiful future to look, after, look, look up to. If you're everyone else, all these startups, they're trembling because their funding has dried up. Their markets have changed. They have no idea what hit them. And then the customers of all of these companies They have no idea what hit them. They've stopped purchasing. They, you know, they're in a state of panic because the world changed faster than they could ever imagine. So it's a very mixed environment. It's
0: not, you know, uh, clearly um, uh, good or bad over here in Silicon Valley. This shift, though, to these winner-take-all companies like Microsoft and Apple and Amazon and Facebook and Google, how profound do you think it is? Are these companies going to come out of this crisis and have so much cash so much economic acceleration that they'll essentially hoover up the rest of the economy well that's what's happening look at amazon amazon now can't keep pace with all the deliveries
1: the retail uh, has been decimated i mean we move forward 10 years and you know they've become uh, the most powerful force in retailing right now we're dependent on them we all sit here you know waiting uh, hitting the the um uh, you know the button, hoping that we get a delivery window on Amazon Prime. So you know so they're doing really well. Microsoft is doing well. Google is doing well. Facebook, it's party time, surveillance time. Now uh, you know all the, these companies are coming up with apps that they can uh, you know put on our smartphones so they can so we'll we' we'll give them even more surveillance data. Uh, we've forgotten about our attacks on the privacy of these things. We're now trying to do, you know so uh, to keep track of contacts and and movements and stuff like that. So, yeah it's become more evil and faster than we ever imagined i mean you you know talked a lot about this in your book um you know your, your last book about the internet and you're right it wasn't the answer that we ha- we have really um, you know ha- have a lot of darkness that's happened at once
0: so it's certainly not spring then uh, vivek for the rest of us um it's a winter
1: which... for for it's a freezing winter for most of the tech industry, except for those people who have to be, you happen to be at top, for them, it's party time.
0: So what should we do? It, it, one, one of the interesting things about the pandemic is it seems to have put an end, at least in the short term, to the tech lash. Uh, earlier this year, seems a long time ago, we were all terrified of Google and particularly Facebook and what was known as surveillance capitalism. Today, there's only one thing we're scared about, and that's the coronavirus
1: yeah because we got a bigger enemy and therefore the tech industry is able to uh, you know do a lot more facebook is only accelerating the integration of its products facebook is only accelerating the capture of data they're now r- using this opportunity to roll out uh, a lot of products and technologies that w- you know we would have been uh, busy attacking before so they're making the most of this uh, so I, I you know again it's depressing to to see what the hell is going on here the world is falling apart, but this will end. I mean, things will change soon because we will deal with this pandemic. We will come up with vaccines. Life will go back to normal, more or less. But there will have been some fundamental changes, and we're going to have to revisit the tech industry again. And and now we will need strict laws to you know cut uh, cut the wings of these companies and to get them back in line because they have taken advantage of every opportunity here to build their monopolies. Amazon is now, you know, wiping out everything in its path. And it's become greedier and mightier
0: than it ever was before, for example. Vivek, is the solution then, and once we, we get out of this crisis, is the solution more aggressive regulation? Is it antitrust? Is it breaking, indeed, even breaking these companies up?
1: I suspect those are the discussions we're going to have, because now the public realizes the value of government that you know before you had uh, a big segment of society which didn't believe in government that and now that say those same people are waiting for government to save them and do something. So we now have a greater respect for the importance of government and and regulations and and we understand how the system works. We're going to now have to focus our energies on these tech companies and regulate the heck out of them. Break, break up Facebook, break up Amazon, and do the things that should have been done five years ago.
0: You've also written extensively about the ethical challenges of AI. How is this crisis, do you think, reshaping the, the business opportunities and challenges and dangers of artificial intelligence, smart machines, and its undermining of human labor? Okay, that discussion
1: has been deferred because right now we've had a virus which has wiped out, uh, you know, uh, probably a billion jobs already. So the concern really isn't about technology. That concern will get back to in a couple of years once once this has subsided, because, um, you know, in the meantime, AI is advancing. These companies are, uh, you know, we're going to bring manufacturing back to the United States now and Europe, and it's going to be automated manufacturing. Uh, companies are now going to have cashierless uh, supermarkets, and we're going to accept that because we think we need it. So again, this is opportunity time for these big tech companies, and AI will become more pervasive. And then we're going to have to come back and realize that hey, the jobs didn't come back. We, you know, our economy is now functioning again. Stock markets are rising again. However, the jobs didn't come back, and then it's going to be where we, where you and I, you know, we talking about what we were talking about a couple of years ago, uh, suddenly realizing that. Uh, uh, tech has taken jobs away and we're headed to a jobless future.
0: Does it worry you, though, that the increasingly the dominant AI companies are the dominant tech companies? So Google and Facebook and Amazon are investing tens of billions of dollars in, in, in AI technology and startups and initiatives. It
1: worries me like you won't believe. And if you look at what Amazon just did, there was a report this morning that they bought 1,200 um, uh, scanners from this Chinese company that was blacklisted back, by the US government for the surveillance it was doing on uh, in uh, in China, I mean, on the uh, Uyghurs. I mean, so, so Amazon basically imp- implemented all of these surveillance technologies, the most evil of surveillance technologies in their warehouses. The next thing you know what they're going to do is they're going to start adding AI to it and facial recognition, and and start monitoring each person, their productivity levels, and and uh, you know what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're communicating with each other. They've they've had uh, their employees now protest about uh, their bad business practices. They're going to start monitoring their employees, and they've started doing all this already, right under you know under our noses. They're getting away with it now.
0: Do you think that Jeff Bezos knows exactly what he's doing here? Jeff
1: Bezos is brilliant. He's a brilliant businessman. And um, he believes in what he's doing. He doesn't believe he's evil. He believes he's good. He believes, he believes he's maximizing shareholder value. And so does Zuckerberg. You know, the problem is that these people don't realize the impact that they're having on society. They're so cut off from the real world. They don't know what poverty is. They don't know what it's like to lose you know, everything you have to lose your job and to be unemployed. They don't know what it's like to be homeless. They don't know what it's like not be, to be able to feed your families. They don't understand these things, and they don't understand what loss of privacy means because they have all the privacy they want. They don't understand that uh, people don't want people. You know, uh, uh, I mean, these devices. Uh, I, you know, I needed a new Wi-Fi router, so I was looking to buy them. And Amazon and Google now have both incorporated voice recognition, uh, so the voice facilities into their Wi-Fi routers, why? So they can be listening on uh, to everything you're doing at, at home all the time and god knows what they do with this information so so these companies don't realize what it's like to lose your privacy because they have privacy so these executives don't realize that so they 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 cut off from reality this really worries me i mean you know at the end of the day i'm an optimist and we should talk about optimistic things also so i'm not just you know being negative and doom and gloom over here but the fact is that right now um, uh, it's it's a period of darkness for mankind humankind
0: Vivek, you're, you're also a, a keen observer of the international scene. You were born in India. You spend, um, in, in the pre-pandemic world, you spend a lot of your time traveling around the world giving speeches. Do you see a convergence between the Chinese system, this authoritarian, surveillance, centralized system, and the American system where a tiny handful of companies know more and more about us and control uh, the economy? China has also try to take advantage of the situation of getting their evil
1: systems out everywhere. So you now have African countries installing Chinese cameras and Chinese surveillance systems. They're now trying to spread their economic system. They're now you know, trying to uh, uh, demonstrate that the West is inferior because the West couldn't control the virus that they created for the world, right? So uh, the Chinese basically are uh, taking advantage of this so that's worrisome, but but like I said, there are a lot of good things. Also, the the fact is that because they've gone so far, the world is realizing how evil these people are, and they need to have checks and balances on on all of this stuff. So at the end of the day, we would have been through a very dark period of time. We'll all sort of come together and realize that you know the evils of these technologies, the evils of these systems, such as the Chinese system, which allowed this pandemic to happen, and we're all going to uh, you know hopefully come together as a race, as a humanity and try to do something about it. That's what my hope is.
0: Vivek, you're, as I said earlier, you're you're an immigrant to the United States. You weren't born here, but you, you've you always been um, optimistic about America. More and more people have argued, though, that the the dysfunctionality of America is reflected in its failure to really confront the pandemic, and that's why more people have died and more people have the virus in the United States per, per per population than than anywhere else in the world has the pandemic in your view exposed the fundamental dysfunctionality of the american political system
1: look there are problems with the american political system there's no doubt about it this government didn't act in time and, and when they did act they didn't act sensibly so there were mistakes that were made but that's called a democracy. I mean, uh, the Chinese system of being able to to round everyone up, put them in their homes, set up surveillance cameras outside their houses, and make people disappear, that's not what we want. Uh, I'll bet you that there were far more deaths in China, probably as many as an order of magnitude, than than they reported. All they did was they hid the bodies. That's how China goes, because it can get away with it. I would much rather have our freedom and our, our system, even if uh, it means things are messy, and, uh, you know, uh, because ultimately we're going to come out of this stronger and we're now going to be able to reform our, our system and, and fix what was broken. The Chinese are going to be more evil than they were before. They're only becoming more repressive. They're only now increasing surveillance and, uh, you know, uh, f- taking control of the situations. And so are other regimes that the China is encouraging and supporting like this. So I would much rather have our freedom and democracy over any communist system, even if it uh, means more pain and suffering every now and then.
0: Vivek, last month, Parag Khanna, who I think you know, a Singapore-based geostrategic thinker, came on the show and argued that, while he agreed with you about China, the Korean model, the Taiwanese model, um, are ones that have... uh, have, uh, reflected the future, that the future is indeed, in in Parag's words, Asian, maybe not Chinese, but certainly Korean or Taiwanese. Is there some truth to that?
1: No, come on. I mean, Parag uh, has been living in Singapore for too long. He uh, has strong biases towards (laughs) the semi-authoritarian models of these countries. Um, I I would have the the, uh, British system and the American system over you know, the systems of these countries any day. They strive to be like us. I mean, uh, Singapore is a semi-authoritarian country. I mean, they're doing a lot of good things. They're not evil by any means, but the fact is that they have very tight controls on their populations. You you know, you you try getting away with uh, uh, throwing chewing gum on the floor over there, you might still get arrested. So we don't want that system over here, my friend.
0: Uh, You are from, of course, India, and you spend a lot of time... Going back there, you still, I think, have family there, friends. How um, has India confronted this pandemic?
1: You know, surprisingly, India has done a great job compared to other countries because they went on lockdown immediately. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, Ch- India uh, could have had uh, an order or two or magnitudes greater. Uh, then, um, uh, um the number of deaths and so on, than it has. But it acted wisely and stopped it. Now, the problem in India is that they don't seem to be able to get off this tiger. They, they, they're on this tiger, they've locked down, and they are not getting off it fast enough because now they need to ease off because they've caused a lot of pain and suffering. These migrants that are now, you know, tens of millions of people now having to go back from the cities to their homes, that's not been done, that hasn't been done well. So now they have to reopen the economy, and I think the government is trembling at what might happen, but um, again, it's a mixed review. Uh, They did many, many things right, better than
0: we did, and and now they have to figure out how they're going to get off this tiger. What about the response around the world to the crisis, which seems to have strengthened nationalist regimes? Certainly Modi in India seems strengthened, in Hungary, in Turkey, in Poland, in the United States, of course. Uh, Neo-authoritarian leaders seem to be strengthened by the crisis. Do you fear that? Um, you know, you can't compare India to
1: everyone. India is very much like the United States and England, that you have, you know, yeah, yes, I mean, Modi might be taking some strong views, but you've got Donald Trump and you've we, you know, we've got Donald Trump and you've got Boris Johnson. So, you know, who, who are we to complain? I mean, the fact is that, um, that you know, uh, the pendulum in democracies, the pendulum swings from one end to the other, and you know, countries make mistakes and they learn from it. So, you know, leave the democracies aside. The authoritarian regimes on the China model, yes, they have a lot to worry about but what's going to happen now is that um, you know there's something that i uh, that i've been long uh, talking about is that china um, its manufacturing industry is under dire threat of automation that uh, now we're going to accelerate the uh, the removal of manufacturing from china back to the west it's going to be highly automated manufacturing but china's manufacturing industry starts imploding its economy starts shrinking the things it got away with when everything was wonderful and American companies were blindly moving manufacturing over there, it won't get away with anymore. So China, we can expect lots and lots of bubbles to, to burst. We can ex- expect massive social unrest. And we can uh, expect the, the people to hold the government responsible for its misdeeds increasingly. Even with surveillance, they won't be able to suppress their population enough. And the same will happen with a lot of these other regimes, You know, the, the Venezuelas and uh, Russias. If you read up on what's happening over there... Their day of reckoning is coming as well. Authoritarianism, you know, might buy you time and might control the rest of the population, but when entire economies are falling apart, you can't—it's you can't um, control the population enough to stop them from complaining
0: about the fact that they're starving, they're suffering. So you believe that there may be a, a kind of a, an essential incompatibility between innovation and authoritarianism—that authoritarian regimes like China ultimately can't generate long-term innovation, especially in you know, a free China, market way.
1: Yeah, China has the innovative, uh, in, in some ways, uh, you know, of late, but it's all based on stolen technologies. So China stole on a massive scale, um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, on a scale we've never, ever seen before. And that's what they built their uh, innovation systems on. But the fact is that this is something that, you know, I've also said long for long that innovation thrives on diversity. Innovation thrives when you're in dissent breaking the rules, you need to break the rules to innovate, all right? This is what the West excels at. You know, this is what we thrive at in, in the UK and in, in the United States is um, uh, criticizing government, criticizing politicians, breaking every rule we can and trying different things and innovating. So this is, you know, this is the best way of now uh, building a great future is to let the scientists and the entrepreneurs, you know, the innovators and researchers all come
0: together and solve grand problems. China isn't going to do that. You're beginning to cheer me up, Vivek. The sun is coming out. Maybe spring is here. So how, how, finally, uh, Vivek, how do you cheer yourself up? Are there books in these dark times that you turn to to give you hope? Andrew, I lost my
1: wife last year. It was devastating for me. And it's been a very, very difficult uh, you know, year or two for me. And I basically became reclusive. This is why I haven't been doing as much as before. And... What I decided to do was to try to understand the, the scriptures, see what's in there. So I read, I started reading the Bhagavad Gita, the Bible. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I've started been starting uh, the Guru Granth Sahib, the, the Sikh holy text, the text, to try to understand what the principles are, what the lessons are. And when you don't take it too literally, when you try to understand it, the concept is that we have to do what we believe is right. We have to to give back. I mean, the, the values and the principles of, of all of our sacred texts text are the same. They teach us about the darkness that comes and goes and how we have to rise above it and do good for others and for the world and how, at the end of the day, we will you know, achieve salvation and, and reach God by helping others. So Those are the common principles. That's what, that's what excites me. That's what keeps me going. And this is why I can be an optimist because I see light in this darkness, I mean, I'm worried about right now the pandemic and the economic damage, but I see us coming together as humanity now and solving many problems.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.